Welcome, everyone, to an edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name is Eric Leupold, and I appreciate you joining me this morning for another episode. I believe it's episode 27, so uh, good year so far, 27 episodes in, if you've been listening the entire time. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for that, and hope that it's been a blessing to you. So today, uh, our main topic is going to be an interview with Joel Sedecase of the Think Institute. And I'm going to give a brief introduction about him in a little bit. But first, we're going to go to our law of the day, as we always do. And today, it'll be Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 9 through 13. So if you wish to follow along in your copy of Scripture, please turn there, and I'll just go ahead and read it, and we'll get right into it. And so here is the passage. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, At the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. All right, this law, at the very end of Deuteronomy, or near the end of it, is seemingly obscure, but quite important. There's a couple laws like this. There's one uh, that refers to setting up a memorial, that when, when Israel is to enter the land, they are to set up a memorial. It's a, essentially a, a stone pillar, and on it is to have the Ten Commandments written. And that is meant to remind the people of Israel uh, of their, basically their constitution, their covenant, who they serve, and what the law of the land is. And of course, when anyone enters the borders of Israel, they would see this, this memorial, and they would also know that that's the law of the land. These are the laws that they are to follow. This law that we just read is very similar. Because at the end of every seven years, all of Israel is to gather together. This is during the Feast of Booths, and they're, they're appearing before the Lord. So it's during a festival, during a feast, a celebration of what God has done for Israel. And they're going to appear before the Lord. And then they're going to read and hear the whole law, all that the laws that were given to them through Moses. Because those laws served as their constitution, as their covenant. And this would be new children and sojourners, recent converts would hear the law. And so everybody would become accountable to it. Nobody would be able to claim that they were ignorant of the law. And the older Israelites would be reminded of their vows and their duties and their accountability as well. Now, a modern practice that might be somewhat similar to this would be the renewing of wedding vows, which I'm sure... Uh, those of you listening have are familiar with at least somebody who has kind of renewed their vows, maybe during their 10-year anniversary, 20-year anniversary, whatever the case may be, they, they make it a point to go through the process again and renew their vows. Um, not just for fun, but uh, 
to strengthen the relationship, to um, to just kind of recage themselves and refocus and rededicate themselves to each other. So this is like that, essentially. Um, and it's meant to remind Israel that God is their God. They are his people. The land has been given to them by God. And the law is to be their law. And that's how they live in the land. And so they're to be reminded of that every seven years. Now, there are some other key aspects of this law that we need to really consider. The first is that God's law was publicly known and accessible. That is, it was understandable by all the people. I mean, if you think about it, God is commanding Israel, bring everybody, bring the children, bring the sojourners. Everyone should be able to understand this law. It's it's publicly known. It's not a secret. You don't have to dive into thousands and thousands of tomes and books to find the answer. It's also short enough to be read out loud in one gathering. I mean, maybe not in one gathering, but at least during the Feast of Booths, right? During that feast, the law would be read, and it should be short enough that all of it could be read out loud, and everyone could understand it. So those three characteristics... I think are very important when we apply this law today. This law, the law written in uh, the first five books of the Bible, um, written and given to the people of Israel, that law is very much a contrast to what we see uh, among the Pharisees and what we see in modern law today. So a lot of people misunderstand why the Pharisees were criticized so much and why Jesus had such strong things to say about them. It wasn't that they cared about God's law. God's law was very important, very powerful. It's, it's central. And even Jesus himself said that he did not come to abolish the law. But the Pharisees took it and they abused it. They added piles and piles and piles of regulations onto it. They created fences on top of fences around the law, making so many silly rules and regulations that it became burdensome. So, for example, uh, to, according to the Pharisees and to the rabbinical law, if, if you rubbed two pieces of grain together in your fingers on the Sabbath, that would count as work, as harvesting, uh, grinding grain. And so you would be breaking the Sabbath laws. Now, of course, that is not at all the intent of God's law, not in any way, shape, or form. So the Pharisees were very much abusing, and it was just becoming a burden to, to the people. And the Pharisees thought of themselves as as self-righteous and perfect. And maybe not perfect, but certainly better than everybody else because they cared and they tried uh, to do what they thought was right. But they didn't really help the people. They just kind of accused and condemned the people for not taking the law seriously. But it wasn't God's law that they were talking about. It was their understanding, their manipulation, their twisting of God's law. So the fact is that uh, that is not the intent of God's law, which is why Jesus criticized them so much, along with their hypocrisy. So it's not only that they added laws unto laws, they added man's law on top of God's law, but then they were hypocrites. They just, they didn't do what they, what they told others to do. Now, interestingly, modern law is very similar to what Pharisees adopted. Our laws today in the United States, for example, are very complicated. 
they have a lot of lawyer speak. There's that legalese, that legal language that makes it very hard to navigate and to understand and to apply. And a lot of us, you know, we all have to admit when we, you know, sign up for a website or a new program, yeah, you read all that fine print and you you scroll to the bottom and you hit, yeah, I agree. And and no one reads that. Uh, We don't even know what it's saying. It could be saying anything. But the point is, it's, it's too long, it's too complicated, and too confusing, so we don't even bother. And that's not the way that law is supposed to be. It should not be difficult to read or understand, and it should not be confusing to apply. And sadly, in our modern day, the language has to be perfect and precise, or the law won't work, because there are constantly loopholes, because everyone is trying to manipulate the law and get around the law and not really focusing on the intent of the law, more on the specific grammar and words, spelling uh, of the law. And now, because we have thousands and thousands of, of volumes of books on, on law, I mean, even just the tax law itself could, could take up an entire shelf of books, now you have to have a special class of priests, if you will, call them lawyers, that have to interpret the law for us. They are the new scribes and teachers of the law. It's not, the law is too complicated for anyone to understand, and it's too long to be read out loud publicly in one sitting. And sadly, these priests even have to be subdivided into further categories because, again, each category itself is so is so deep with laws and regulations. You have corporate law and tax law and criminal law and all, all other things too, many other categories. So you have all these classes of priests that specialize in this law, and in order for you to navigate, understand, and to succeed, you have to um, pay these priests. You have to hire them. You have to be able to afford them. Uh, and the sad part about this is uh, that everybody is breaking at least one law a day. And in fact, actually, uh, there's a recent book out. Well, it's not that recent. It's about about 10 years old. In 2011, there's a book called Three Felonies a Day by Harvey Silverglate. And in that book, he talks about how basically Americans are guilty of committing three felonies a day without even knowing it because the laws have become so numerous and so complicated that we just can't avoid it. And the law has gotten to the point that it is morally acceptable to kill an unborn baby, but it's criminal to kill a turtle in in some areas or to use plastic straws. So essentially we have become very pharisaical. Uh, We're not really following the pattern that God has set forth. God's law is is beautiful, and it's, it's really sad that so many people, they think of God's law as cruel, and harsh, and and burdensome, but they're not appreciating the situation. God's law fits in one book. I mean, if you really want to, you know, be technical, it's five books of the Bible. But man's law takes volumes, volumes and volumes, and that's just one category of law. So which one's more burdensome? Which one is freeing? Which one is more burdensome? God's law is beautiful and good. It's intended to be known by all. Our modern law, which is a complicated and bloated and confusing law, that only serves to hurt the poor and the widow, the orphan and the stranger, because those marginalized individuals, 
they cannot afford the specialists, the lawyers. They can't afford to pay the specialists to help them navigate the law. And they might not be educated enough to understand the law themselves. So the marginalized, including the immigrant, they suffer while the wealthy and those who are connected and educated can navigate the law and use it to their advantage. But that is not what God intended. The solution is less complicated law, like God's law, not a ever-growing hydra, ever-growing monster that swallows everything up. So God's law is beautiful. It's meant to be read out loud to all classes and all educations and all ages of people publicly in one sitting and to be done on a regular basis every seven years to remind everybody uh, what they are to do. So the law goes from being just an external list of things, it becomes internalized. They learn it, they understand it, they apply it in their own lives, and they remember it. And But it's simple enough to remember and to apply and uh, not burdensome like what the Pharisees would do and what we see today in our own country. So anyways, that is our law today. I hope that you find that to be helpful and useful. Uh, it certainly helped me to see things a little differently than what I've been used to seeing regarding uh, regarding man's law. So just it just highlights the difference and the importance of God's law in our world today. So we should not neglect that. So with that, I would like to introduce to you now uh, Joel Sedekes, who is the founder of the Think Institute. Now, Joel was a former pastor working in Christian ministry and education since 2009. He earned his uh, bachelor's in history from Grove City College and his master's in philosophy of religion from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's a speaker, preacher, and public theologian. He is the host of the Think Institute podcast and the lead teacher of the Think Institute. Now, he also is the author of Catechids, which is a, a new covenant catechism for children, as well as other courses and curriculum for uh, homeschool uh, groups like that. So there's a lot that he's doing, and I hope that you enjoy the interview uh, that uh, I got a chance to do with Joel about the Think Institute and other programs that he's involved in. So, without further ado, Joel Sedicase. Well, Joel, I uh, appreciate you coming on to the podcast and look forward to having our uh, discussion today about your podcast and the Think Institute. Um, and the first thing, really, for my, my audience and for myself is... Uh, you know, just give us a, a rundown as to what the Think Institute is, what it's all about, what your goal is um, in the institute that you formed. Sure. Yeah. Eric, thanks so much for having me, man. I've been looking mm -hmm. forward to this and uh, really, really appreciate the opportunity for the conversation. So the mission of the Think Institute is to equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message. And so we provide tools and resources in order to do that. So we've got resources like the Think Podcast and Catechids uh, Podcast. I'll do public speaking and teaching at churches or ministries, conferences, things like that on the topics of evangelism and apologetics. Uh, we have a blog at our website, thethink.institute, where either myself or some guest writers will write on the topics of the 
biblical worldview or tackling some impossible question, you know, are we living in a simulation, things like that. <laughs> um, you know, so, some obscure topics as well as some, some sort of uh, run of the mill apologetics yeah. and theology type questions. Um, and then we do resource creation as well for homeschool cooperatives and families as well to help parents disciple their children. And um, something I'm really excited about this year is our cohort based study. Uh, well, our study cohorts or classes through our applied theology wing, which hmm. is called the Hammer and Anvil Society. Hmm. Wow, that's awesome. So, so you're starting the uh, Hammer and Anvil Society this year. Is that that's a new uh, feature or new program? Um, yes and no. We did we did a run through. Uh, we sort of beta tested it last year. Mm -hmm. We did an 11 month program going through all of our three fields of study. So apologetics, the biblical worldview and evangelism. And uh, it was me and a small cohort of guys. And I essentially led them through that, uh, testing out the format, uh, learning as we go, testing how, how to deliver the content. Um, and this year, what we've decided to do with that program is rather than unleash it all in a long 11 month mm -hmm. uh, plan, Instead, we've broken it up into our three content areas, apologetics, worldview, and evangelism. We've added another one on uh, biblical study, how to interpret the Bible, you know, kind of basic Bible study skills. We developed a a, um, a method for that called the think method. Hmm. And so we, we just are wrapping up our first study cohort on the think method and getting ready to do an apologetics-based one, uh, actually starting in May. Hmm. We're going to do it on... Uh, something I'm pretty excited about, actually, it's the apologetics of Jesus and Paul. And so specifically, you know, how did Jesus and Paul defend biblical truth, God's truth? Nice. Is that, so is that like an, like an online live uh, study? Is it re recorded videos with like discussion boards? H how does that kind of work? That's a good question. So I've actually been researching like uh, online teaching platforms. There's mm -hmm. a bunch of them out there. I think at the end of the day, I'm either going to do what we're doing right now, which is Zoom, mm -hmm. um, or I'm going to do, uh, there's a program called StreamYard, which is what we use for all of our broadcasts. And um, I'll probably use one of one of those two. I, I am not a very tech savvy person, and I, yet I deal with technology all the time every day. And so the simpler I can keep things, the better. Uh, for me, it's really about getting the content out and getting good interaction with people so that we can get questions answered and uh, objections handled and real world experience um, strategized for things like that. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you've got a lot of programs that would, would meet the needs of a lot of different people, uh, children, parents. Um, people just in the workforce or whatnot. Um, is, is the hammer and anvil kind of thing, is that going to be for uh, like pastors, elders, or is it just any any average Christian? That's a good question. So hammer and anvil started, it was really primarily for men and men of a certain uh, bent, mm -hmm. uh, if you will. So it was like, like we were cultivating this aesthetic of, you know, drinking scotch in a <laughs> office surrounded by books, maybe smoking cigars, yeah. um, 
you know, that, that old school gentleman, uh, theologian aesthetic. And, um, that's really, so it's still the hammer and anvils. I mean, even the name that hammer and anvil society, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to evoke something with that. That's nice. Um, yeah. of course it comes from Proverbs 27, 17, you know, as iron sharpens iron. Uh-huh. So one man sharpens the face of another one man sharpens another, Yeah, but that's the, the courses that we're going to be rolling out that we've started rolling out. They're, they're really for anyone mm-hmm. we've it's it's been all men so far mm-hmm. um most of my audience is men mm-hmm. but um you know it's regardless of whether it becomes co-ed or not yeah i want to keep that aesthetic you know it's sort of a mm-hmm. uh, my buddy romy romy alariu uh Alariu calls it um a sinister saintly society <laughs> and so it's kind of got that semi-secretive kind of you know you feel like it might operate best in a smoke filled room somewhere, <laughs> leather chairs. And, and uh, so we want to keep that aesthetic for sure. No, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I, before we get uh, too far ahead of ourselves, I do kind of want to ask you the million dollar question as to uh, how it all began um, for you. What led you to want to even begin to think Institute and, and other programs like hammer and anvil and, and how, how did it all begin then? Well, so my background is in business. Mm-hmm. I was a financial advisor and worked in real estate for a while. Um, but uh, in 2009, I took a position as a Bible teacher mm-hmm. at a school in Chicago called Chicago Hope Academy. And really, they brought me in to do sort of like business mm-hmm. um, entrepreneurship and economics. But it's Christian school. Someone's got to teach Bible and <laughs> small school. Everyone wears a lot of hats. So they just they gave that to me. And I was, I loved teaching the Bible to freshmen and seniors, especially the freshmen. They had such incredible questions. It was an inner city school. Mm -hmm. And so really a diverse student body. Mm -hmm. And so all kinds of questions across the board. And I just realized how much I loved teaching, teaching the Bible, teaching theology and answering these really impossible questions. And I'm sitting there after school one day talking with a freshman and um, this person is asking me all these impossible questions. And we're, we're tracing the holy history of scripture, you know, Mm -hmm. God's salvation plan from Genesis straight on through to revelation and centering in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it dawns on me in that moment, I still remember it must've been 20 late, uh, probably spring of, 2010, I need, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to teach the Bible. I want to teach theology in in some way, shape or form. I didn't know how, I just knew I needed more education. So I ended up going to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, um, started out in the MDiv program. I was in it long enough to get my Greek and uh, some of some like biblical theology with Dr. D.A. Carson. And Hmm. so some really, really cool classes, but ended up graduating with a master's in philosophy of religion. Hmm. And uh, along the way, kind of a long story, but um, my wife got pregnant with our first when I was in seminary and then our second, and hmm. she was the one working, but she ended up losing her job when she was like 35 weeks pregnant. Oh, wow. So I needed to essentially step back from seminary and be, and get a job. Mm-hmm. And so I became a, a pastor in training at uh, Grace Point Church out of, West suburbs of Chicago mm-hmm. and uh, then became a, a youth pastor. And again, Eric, like the whole time 
I'm cultivating this love of, of learning and this love of teaching. Hmm. And, you know, I, I didn't necessarily know what I was doing. I was a terrible preacher, you know, didn't really, didn't really know what I was doing, but I'm getting trained. I'm honing my skill. And I ended up spending five years in pastoral ministry at, at uh, two different churches, one of both of which were multi-site, but then one of the churches, Park Community Church in Chicago, I worked at two of the different locations. And while I was a pastor, I, I realized I still love teaching. Man, I just love, love answering people's questions and showing them, hey, the Bible actually has answers. You didn't even know that the Bible had these answers. But look, here it is, you know, right, right here. And I just love that so much. But okay, so, so I, I developed this desire to start a ministry within the local church teaching ministry mm-hmm. where every average everyday lay Christians who were never going to go to seminary yeah. could learn apologetics, you know, theology. Um, I became a Calvinist along the way. So I went through my, my cage stage of Calvinism. And, I hear you. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and you, so I'm like, man, I, just, I love theology. I love learning. And, but you know, as a pastor, I'm working 60 hours a week minimum. And, and there's just, yeah. there's just, there's no time to start a, a new ministry within the church. Mm-hmm. So my last position, I was the interim pastor at the Forest Glen location of Park Community Church in Chicago. And when that came to an end, um, I'm, I'm sitting there in my office and I had another one of these epiphany moments. My wife, Elisa, comes in and, and she goes, Joel, now my, my wife's father, my father-in-law, mm-hmm. is a missionary to the Jewish people mm-hmm. through Chosen People Ministries. So he's a believer, ethnically Jewish, but you know, converted to Christianity, sure. became a follower of Jesus mm-hmm. later in life. And so Elisa grew up with that, you know, with a missionary dad. And so she comes in and she goes, Joel, what if it's time to consider becoming a support raising missionary? Hmm. And Elisa has this way of making suggestions that are like, they're, they're more like, pro- not this. prophecy or prediction, but it's like, all right, this is what, I mean, I, it was like, this is from the Lord. This is, yeah. I need to listen to this. Yeah. So it was at that time that I really started realizing, hey, maybe it's actually possible to take this love of teaching that I have. And this desire to have, to equip everyday Christians in these deeper theological truths in a way that they can explain it, in a way that they can feel confident in their faith and even defend their faith against objections. Hmm. Maybe I can actually do that full time. So hmm. we ended up landing with uh, Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ. Okay. And uh, Crew is a very large organization. Yeah. It's an evangelistic organization, but there's a division of Crew called church movements hmm. that is very solid. And I say that because some people who heard me say crew just now are like, Oh, crew. I heard they're going woke. Uh, church movements <laughs> is very, very non-woke, very non-woke, very solid. And we partnered up with them and I started the think Institute and the think hmm. Institute is the culmination of my seminary education, my teaching uh, experience, my pastoral career, crazy questions my kids ask me, you know, right before bed. <laughs> yes. um, it's just, it's all that combined. And, um, you know, we started that in the spring of 2019. Wow. And um, that was, it was actually right before my son went into heart failure, which is a whole what? nother story. Oh my goodness. Um, but the first year of the, the Think Institute, we were dealing with all kinds of mm-hmm. health crises and things like that. And it's purely by God's grace the ministry grew and we started the think podcast and started launching all these different uh, initiatives and whatnot. But that's the road that got us here to where we are today. Wow. 2019, like the year before COVID. 
is right. right. Every, yep. Oh my goodness, man. And I'm sure like, I mean, how did the, the pandemic like affect, you know, cause you're just up and coming and you're starting and, and there's energy and you're, you're trying to get stuff done. And then all of a sudden everything gets crazy. Like how did that, how did you guys handle or navigate that situation? Oh man. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was interesting. We had already been through a year of hardship. My son spent six months in the hospital, six, seven months in the hospital. And God really prepared us for what was coming. Um, our kids were going to a small private school in Chicago, yeah. Christian school. Yeah. And we decided to take them out that January, right before COVID hit. And we decided to homeschool them. Okay. And so we started homeschooling in February. Everything gets locked down a month later in March. Man, we're already homeschooling. Like we're we're ready to go. We're doing things virtually. We're we're navigating technology. And I had already had about a year of the Think Podcast under my belt. So I'm I'm working with different technology. Again, not very tech savvy, but learning and studying it and and you know, as they say, building the airplane while it's in the air kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So once COVID hit, um, you know, it was it was interesting because we're already online. We're already on social media. We're already answering these impossible questions. Now we just started talking about COVID and how do we, how do we understand a pandemic? How do we understand um, what are the resources that God's word gives us to understand not only a disease, Mm -hmm. a plague, but also the role of government and the proper relationship between church and state and the Christian and state and the Christian and the church Mm -hmm. and whether or not churches should be meeting and, and, um, you know, what, what, all the, the funny business that was going on with, um, the powers that be. And, and so I'm talking about all this stuff and people are seeming to enjoy it. I mean, we're not huge. We're by no means a huge ministry. We're not a, a huge podcast in any way, shape or form, but we developed this core nucleus of an audience mm-hmm. and really found our niche during that time. Mm-hmm. And everybody was online and it just, it, it worked for us because we were online too. We were doing our podcasts and our videos. And so it was, it was like two weeks into the pandemic that our son, Lucas, who I mentioned had gone into heart failure yeah. the year prior, he got his heart transplant oh, wow. at the end of March last year. In the middle of and the lockdown. Wow. And in, in, in in, as the lockdowns were even like just starting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so it was just, it was, it was a really crazy time and we hadn't really seen anybody, you know, we were locked down and and everything, but then like that kind of like forced us back out into society a little bit. We had to go to the hospital. We had to start seeing family members again, because who's going to watch the kids while Elisa and I are in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And that kind of changed our outlook on things. And some other pretty amazing providential things happened over the summer where, um, we ended up deciding we were going to move out of our home in Chicago, um, leave our church, get out of the city. And uh, we ended up staying at some friend's house who they weren't living there, but they have this beautiful house in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And um, we ended up camping out there for uh, this big, beautiful house right on the beach, right on Lake Michigan, oh, nice. which if you don't know the Great Lakes, I mean, they're like inland seas, yeah. you know? So like we had this great house on the beach and all this to say, Eric, God is just so incredibly gracious. Um, the last several years have been characterized by extreme blessing and extreme hardship. Yeah. Side by side, like right next to each other. And 2020 was no different. And, um, you know, not everything happened the way we wanted it to, but we sure. just saw God's hand in everything. God is just so incredibly gracious to us. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that was our 2020, just craziness and extreme examples of God's providence and blessing and grace. We ended up getting a new house out of Chicago, moved in here in November mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we're rolling, man. Yeah. Are you, I, I assume obviously you guys doing another church. Um, yes. are, yeah. I mean, like how does, how, how does the relationship work between the church and, uh, and the Think Institute? So just to give a, a quick example, um, I mean, I know that there are many, um, I should say, organizations or, or groups that, that a lot of times they kind of go off on their, on their own, not, not always in a bad way, of course, but I always think it's really important to have that accountability. And like, I know that when I started this podcast that I, I, I wanted to tell the elders like, hey, like, listen, listen to my podcast, uh, you know, hold me accountable if, because I'm not speaking officially for you know, our church, you know, Hilltown, Hilltown Baptist Church, but still, I do want that accountability. Like, how has that worked with you and, and the new church that you joined? Yeah, it's very good. I think very important question. Um, so the church that we joined is, is well, we're in the process of joining. Mm-hmm. It's called Redeemer Fellowship. Hmm. And um, it's uh, the lead pastor is a guy named Joe Thorne, who's somebody who I... Um, I've heard of this church. I heard of the church. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so somebody that I've, I've known in the past and, you know, appreciated Joe. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's counseled me through some hard times in the past. And, um, so, and, and, and I knew him, I was familiar with Redeemer. My brother had attended for a little while, actually, my little mm-hmm. brother, but, um, I actually approached Joe with that very same question. We've, we've talked a little bit because, um, you know, I, I, like you said, I want to make sure that the Think Institute, so we, we're under crew mm-hmm. and crew is a very legit organization. It's, mm-hmm. it's what's classified as like a religious order, I guess, uh-huh. you know, like in, when I think of religious order, it's like, there's like the Dominicans and the Franciscans, you know, the Catholic orders and, and the Knights like Templar. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we're, we're, we're officially classified something like that. And I do have oversight from crew. Okay. Uh, but that's not the same thing as a local church. Uh-huh. And so, so I, I very much, um, you know, want to make sure that we have that oversight. So I've talked with Joe, we're right now in the process of becoming members of the mm-hmm. church mm-hmm. and there's a whole process. They've got a very rigorous process there, um, you know, to go through. And at, at, at that time, I've already talked with Joe about the, the potential of like um, bringing the think Institute uh, there's, there's some, status that they have where it's like you're the the ministry is recognized as being under the pastoral oversight of ah. redeemer fellowship so mm-hmm. it, it won't be an official church ministry yeah but um it will be recognized like hey the elders of redeemer are not not only like watching i mean that's their job is to care for our souls mm-hmm. and so they're caring for my family and me and then part of that is oversight of the ministry, not in any way that they're like directing operations or anything like oh, that, sure. but just, you know, just it's, we're, we're being watched, we're being held accountable mm-hmm. and uh, we're not um, Lord willing, we're not liable to just into the stratosphere and, and, and get all crazy. Like sadly, as does sometimes happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also wanted to ask, cause you mentioned, a lot of different resources, like you said before, for kids and for parents and, and for homeschooling resources as well. What is the best place for for folks who are interested? I mean, I know there's a lot of people that are homeschooling now. 
whether it's because of the pandemic lockdowns or some yeah. of the problems that are some of the curriculum that's being introduced to public school system. But uh, how would folks that are looking for good curriculum, whether it's parents uh, for their children or just uh, husbands and wives that do a Bible study together, where, sh- where, would, where, where should they go? Is it like an app on the, uh, on the smartphone or just a website? Uh, yeah. Anybody who wanted some resources from us could simply go to our website, thethink.institute. Mm-hmm. And we, we do have resources. I've got a curriculum that I developed for a homeschool co-op in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And um, the, uh, so, so that covers worldview, evangelism, and apologetics. And, um, and then I've also got my resource called Catechids, which is a catechism that I wrote for my own kids in, you know, years ago, like maybe six, seven years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, we're still using it. I'm using it on our, our two youngers right now. And um, we actually have a podcast called Catechids that is me and our two youngest going over the catechism questions. And then our two older, our two olders will come in and um, my son will give a fun fact and then my daughter will give a, a cool idea. And her huh. name is Fia. So for Anna Sophia. So we'll, we'll do a cool idea with Fia nice. and a fun fact with Jacob and um, all that stuff. We've, uh, we've got a number of different podcasts. Um, I've done one with a noted apologist. Um, I've, I've done uh, worldview Wednesday with pastor Rafe, Joel and pastor Rafe. I've done the uh, uh, sons of thunder with my brother Parker and then okay. the catechist podcast. And then our, our flagship podcast is called the think podcast where okay. I interview like uh uh, Doug Wilson. Oh yes. Uh, uh, Erwin Lutzer, a, a, a number of different uh, Christian thinkers and, and guys like that, guys and gals like that. All of that stuff is on the website. So you can get it, just go to the think.institute and get all those resources. The, uh, the, the training church, you can sign up to have me come and speak at your conference or your church um, or your podcast. And yeah. all, all that stuff is all there on the website. So I, I try to keep, just a central repository of, you know, just yeah. all the stuff that we do. And that's all the think.institute. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I really appreciate that. And uh, it does make it very helpful when uh, it's all in one spot that we can, we can easily access. So last question before we close out today, um, if folks want to support you in any way, shape or form, I mean, I'm sure you, you need prayers and whatnot, um, but how, how can they support you if they want to, uh, provide or, or or give to your ministry because I, I know you mentioned that that you are a, um, a, a kind of a missionary uh, organization there. So so how how can they help you out? Okay, so um, I always I always mention this because we are support raising missionaries mm-hmm. that uh, anyone who prayerfully thoughtfully wants to partner with us as prayer and or financial partners, if they go to give.crew.org and crew is c r u give.crew.org slash one zero one eight eight four one. So give.crew.org slash one zero one eight eight four one. That is our giving page. And because we're support raising missionaries, all the stuff that we do is funded on the back end so that we can go to churches or conferences, things like that. You know, you can't really make a living off of speaking in churches, but yeah, um, kind of like the Apostle Paul where we're we're sent out um, you know, by like-minded individuals, believers, and um, and that's how I'm able to keep food on the table and <laughs> you know, be able to, to fund our ministry. So I really appreciate it. Thank, thanks for letting yeah. me give that very shameless plug. Absolutely, brother. Yeah. I, again, I really appreciate you, uh, Joel, coming on. And 
uh, just giving us a brief uh, rundown summary of what you're doing out there because this is what we need. We have we have the resources, right? So we got to get the resources uh, to the people that need yeah. them, and yeah. especially since you know with all the lockdowns and and whatnot, we have to maximize the use of technology of the internet, you know, video, YouTube, podcast, things like that. And, and it can be done. So, uh, again, thank you for coming on the show and, uh, we'll talk to you next time. All right, bro. See ya. Bye. Well, I hope that you enjoy that interview with Joel Sedicase from the Think Institute. And if you have any questions for Joel or want to get in touch with him, just go to the think.institute and uh, you'll be able to submit uh, requests or questions there and he'll certainly try to get back to you as time permits and if you have any questions for for me email me at the gbg podcast at gmail.com you can also find me on facebook twitter instagram just search for governed by god or the gbg podcast and of course you can always go to my website ericloopold.com and find uh, the links there to submit your your request or your question so thank you again for tuning in hope that you enjoyed it today and until next time take care and god bless you